Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter! Welcome to this strange time for us to worship together through, of all things, the internet. Whether you're with us on Facebook or on YouTube later, it is a privilege to uh, be called to the vocation of sharing the best news, the very good news that is Jesus' resurrection from the grave with all of you. Uh, my name is Taylor Mertens, and I serve as the pastor here at Cokesbury United Methodist Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. And because of uh, the pandemic of COVID-19, we are not worshiping in person, but we've been making all of our services available to as many people as we can uh, online. Uh, I just want to share that uh, it is a strange time, but the resurrection is itself a very, very strange thing. So this might be perhaps... Uh, one of the few Easter's that any of us have that feel as close to how strange the first Easter must have felt for the disciples. For it was the disciples who were hiding away, practicing their own version of social distancing, uh, waiting not for what they possibly could have imagined, uh, being afraid of what the next day would bring. But of course, today brings life in the midst of death. Uh, today, for Easter, uh, we had a sunrise service at 6.30 this morning here in the sanctuary. Uh, you can watch that later uh, through our Facebook page. It's also available on YouTube now. Uh, but this is our traditional worship service that we are going to be providing for you here at 11.03 on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, for those of you who uh, would like to have a bulletin to follow along with online, it's linked in the video description for this video. Uh, but you can also find it at our website, which is cokesburyumc.church, and you can pull that up. It contains our prayers, uh, our hymns, the scripture, uh, and how we might respond to uh, the Easter proclamation together going forward. I've had the opportunity to talk with a number of people in the last few weeks, including a lot of pastors, who have lamented that this Easter feels like it might be ruined, uh, that instead of having uh, sanctuaries filled with people, with all of the lilies out, that uh, it's hard for them to imagine an Easter that's so different. And I think, actually, this is a really, really wonderful thing, because we don't have to have a perfect Easter this year. We don't have to have our kids in these perfectly color-coordinated outfits, dragging them out to a blooming tree this afternoon to take that picture, to put on Instagram, to make it seem as if our families really are perfect all the time. We don't have to have uh, perfect worship services for Easter Sunday. We don't have the, have the perfect hymn and the perfect choir and the perfect sermon, which is a really good word for me. Uh, we don't have to have any of that this year, uh, making it seem as if we've got it all figured out. Easter is kind of about that we don't have it figured out. And I think it's a joy, or at least it can be a joy for us to sort of enjoy how unexpected Easter can be and how it does something to us and not the other way around. At the sunrise service this morning, I shared a story about how when I was younger in high school, I played a part in an Easter sunrise sermon where I was hiding out in a tomb on the church I grew up in, in the, pro uh, the property of the church, and I had a fog machine, and I had to bust out of the tomb like the angel. The following year, uh, one of my dearest friends in the world, his name is Will Gehrig, he currently lives in Japan, he and I decided it would be funny if on Saturday, Holy Saturday, we would drive over to the church and we would steal the stone that was supposed to be covering the tomb. Every Easter when we were kids, you know, you'd go to the church and the, the stone had been rolled back, sort of embodying the Easter proclamation. 
we decided on a Saturday night to that Saturday night to go steal the stone from the front of the tomb and put it on the roof of the church. There was this angled roof by the main entrance. And we thought it would be this incredible thing if we stole it and put it up there, like a miracle had happened. And that everybody, when they came in on Easter Sunday, not only would the stone have been rolled back, but it had been put on the roof of the church. I mean, we had to get ladders out and climb up on the roof in the middle of the night. And we didn't tell anybody we were doing it. I didn't even tell my parents. So Easter Sunday, we wake up and I go to church with my family. Will goes to church with his family. And I mean, we're pulling in the parking lot and I'm filled with so much expectation and anticipation because I just can't wait to see people's reaction as they're going to be pointing at the roof of the building. I can't wait to hear the conversations, even seeing my parents' reaction. But we got out of the car and walked across the parking lot. Sure enough, there was the stone on the roof of the church, but no me and my family noticed. Or if they did, they didn't say anything. So then I walked into the narthex and started shaking hands with people. And I was waiting to overhear, you know, eavesdrop a conversation and no one was talking about it. So I thought surely during the sermon, the senior pastor is going to make mention of this miracle he discovered when he arrived in the morning. But no, no mention of the stone during the children's message or the sermon, not even during the benediction. And friends, I was frustrated. I was actually pretty mad. I mean, I thought this was a great idea. I thought I was going to redeem Easter. So I waited in line with everybody else after the service, and I'm sure I was pouting, and I went forward to shake the senior pastor's hand, and he said, he grabbed me by the shirt collar, and he said, Taylor, I heard a voice this morning when I was praying. I said, yeah, sure you did, Dennis. He said, no, 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 seriously. I heard the, the Lord speak to me. Do you want to know what the Lord said? I said, sure, Dennis. What did God say to you this morning? He said, Taylor, God said to me, you tell Taylor that whoever put that stone on the roof better have it back down by tomorrow morning. Happy Easter, Taylor. And then he went to go shake the next person's hand. We bring all kinds of expectations to Easter. We bring memories and thoughts and hopes and dreams. And sometimes God meets us in those things, but more often than not, God likes to take whatever it is we think we're bringing and turn it upside down. Easter really isn't a day about us. It's a day about God. It's a day in which we come to the tomb with nothing whatsoever, and yet we're given the greatest gift in the history of the world. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So as you're able, uh, maybe you're at home or you're somewhere else, you're in your car, I don't know, wherever you are, just trying to find a posture that's comfortable for you, and would you please join me in a word of prayer? Lord, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of salvation, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I'd also just like to share that uh, in keeping with Bishop Sharma Lewis and Governor Ralph Northam, we will continue to cancel all in-person activities, including worship here at the church, at least through the end of April. Uh, and there's a potential that that will continue to go on further. As uh, Eastertide starts to ramp up, uh, I invite you to join us each Sunday here uh, through our Facebook page or on YouTube uh, to worship together with us. And uh, we wait and joyfully hope for that time that we can gather together in person again.
uh, because we're not meeting in person, if you would like to financially support the ministries of Cokesbury Church, you can continue to uh, send your offerings in through the mail uh, to our address here. We have a drop box by the main entrance that if you drive by, you can stick it through there. It's a safe way to give, or you can give online. Uh, the link for that is linked in the description uh, for this video, and it can also be found on our church website. Uh, so again, would you please pray with me? Lord, we confess that we'd like things to go back to normal. We have families to tend, churches to serve, jobs to do. And how can we do everything we're doing knowing that we maybe can't go back to the thing, way things were? Can we ever go back? Can our lives ever be normal? Well, of course not, God. For you have made us your people, which means the world was actually changed forever 2,000 years ago on the cross and in the empty tomb. For it was in those things that you dragged us into your surprising kingdom, compelling us to see how you made something of our nothing. In the wake of your son Jesus' death and his resurrection, you have given us time to learn what it means to truly love one another. We therefore pray for your guidance at a time such as this, that we might remember who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. And now, O oh Lord, each of us will lift up to you, silently or aloud, our joys and our concerns in prayer this Easter Sunday morning. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson this Easter comes from the gospel according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go now, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
So they went out and they fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Throughout this time, We have been unable to gather together in person, and I've been leading worship online. I've shared each and every week that I'm a Methodist, which means I don't know how to worship without singing something. So I'm going to sing a hymn for us. This is number 310 in the United Methodist Hymnal. This is He Lives. Uh, the words to the hymn are available in our online bulletin, so you can find them there. I encourage you to sing along with me as much as you feel comfortable to do so, or you can just listen. And I apologize, I'm a preacher, not a singer. <clears throat> I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever foes may say. I see his hands of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. Do not be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look. There is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Would you please pray with me?
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. They traveled to the tomb very early on the first day of the week. It was a Sunday. The gospel, however, is reluctant to give us too many details about their journey. We don't hear about their grief or their pain. We don't get a glimpse at their plans now that their Lord is dead and forsaken in a tomb. We don't really learn anything except for the fact that they travel without knowing how they will roll the stone back. Lo and behold, the very large stone has already been rolled away by the time they arrive. And to further their confusion, they discover a young man dressed in white inside. Is he a divine messenger? Is he an angel? He speaks, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, but he ain't here. He was dead, but now he's alive. Look over there. That's where they laid his body, but you can go now. Tell the disciples and Peter that he's already on his journey. He's gone on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. And here's how the gospel ends. The women run away from the tomb, utterly terrorized, and they say nothing to anyone because they are afraid. Easter. It doesn't get much better than this in the life of the church. Out of death, life. And for centuries, uh, preachers like me have mined this story for every possible nugget that can speak something new and wonderful and true into our lives. I myself have preached every Easter that I've been a pastor. I've preached about the fear that befuddles the women and how the gospel ends with a lie. For if they really said nothing to anyone, none of us would be waking up early on a Sunday morning to hear about it. I've preached about how new life seems to always start in the darkness, whether it's a baby in the womb or life in the tomb. New life starts in the darkness. I have preached and preached and preached Easter. And yet this year, as I returned to these words that have comforted and confounded Christians for centuries, I've been stuck on a different detail, not fear, not darkness, but Galilee. I mean, why would he go back there? Good for Jesus. He's been raised from the dead and he decides to go home. But Galilee was a out-of-the-way, forgotten sort of place. Its only claim to fame is that Jesus came from it. Of course, Jesus did his Jesus thing in Galilee. Galilee is where he called the disciples and cured the sick and fed the hungry and preached his parables. But even in the midst of his Galilean mission, Jesus was focused on eventually getting to the big show, to Jerusalem. You know, the mission and the ministry of Jesus, it just builds toward the Mount of Transfiguration. And then everything shifts to the holy city of Jerusalem. The gospel sharpens in on Jesus as he enters on the back of a donkey on Palm Sunday. You know, Jerusalem is where all the real action happens. It's where he was betrayed and beaten, left to die on a cross. It's where he's buried. Jerusalem was the place to be. It's where all the movers and the shakers were. It's where all the powerful people were hanging out. It's where those who believed in unbelievable things hoped the Messiah would take charge and transform the world, which makes the news, this detail of a Galilean reunion, so weird. Here, on Easter, the Son of God is no longer held captive by the dominion of death. He is resurrected, and he leaves Jerusalem for Galilee. That's confounding. 
You know, one would hope that on the other side of the resurrection, Jesus would be smart enough to go right up to the palace to give Pilate a whole, you can't handle the truth, or that Jesus would storm into Herod's inner court and rip him a new one, or at the very least, Jesus would gather with a band of revolutionaries to overturn the powers and the principalities that were occupying Jerusalem. Did Jesus, the Lord of Lords, not know if that you really want to make a change, you have to go to the top? Jerusalem should have been the first step in the journey toward overthrowing the empire. Jerusalem would have been the perfect place to plant the flag of the kingdom of heaven. Jerusalem could have been the beginning of the end, but Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do the effective thing. Instead, he goes back to Galilee, of all places. Nobody special lived in Galilee. It was populated by shepherds and fishermen and farmers. The people there held no power or prestige. The only thing notable at all about Galilee, that it's where the followers of Jesus were from. People like us. Imagine that Jesus is living today. He goes and uh, he spends his final week in Washington, D.C. He preaches in D.C. He turns the money tables over in D.C. He does all these things and he's crucified in D.C. They bury him in Arlington National Cemetery. And then on for the third day, we go to check on him and he's gone. And this little angel says, hey, he ain't here. He's gone to Woodbridge. The only thing notable about that is that we're the people in Woodbridge. When we read the Easter story, whether it's on a Sunday in church or from the comfort of our own homes, we catch this moment where the women run away in fear. And because we tend to focus so much attention on their reaction, on their terror, we miss how Jesus is raised from the dead only to return to the very people who abandoned him. Jesus chooses the unworthy and undeserving group of ragtag would-be disciples that he had been dragging along for three years as the people for whom and through whom he will change the world. On Easter, Jesus, he returns not to the powers that be, but instead to people like you and me. He doesn't storm the gates of the temple. He doesn't show up in the Oval Office. He goes where nobody would have expected. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, not after we repented of all of our sins, not before we even had a chance to think up all the sins we want to commit, but in the midst of them, in our worst and most horrible choices, Jesus chooses to die and to rise for us. Hear the good news. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly people like us, who far too easily move from Hosanna to crucify. Hear the good news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hear the good news. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. The good news can be summed up like this. Jesus returns to us. 
Take it from a preacher like me. Even in these strange circumstances of celebrating Easter online, we have messed up the resurrection message for a long time. We've made the church into yet another self-help program, a place where week after week, people gather to hear about what they must do to make their lives better, or in case you don't want to take too close of a look at home, what they must do to make the world a better place. And friends, that doesn't have anything to do with Easter. Being told about all the things we have to do, about all the things we have to fix, about all the things we have to change, that's not good news. Notice, on Easter, Jesus' response to the sins of his followers isn't to berate them or to judge them or even to damn them. He doesn't give them a list of things to do or programs to start or prayers to pray. Instead, he just comes back to them. He comes back to us with, of all things, love. How odd of God. When you think about it, it's kind of confounding how God keeps coming back to us. Stuck in captivity in Egypt, God shows up in a burning bush. Lost in exile, God brings the people home. Dead in your sins, God sets us free. God won't leave us alone. Are we really sure we want to worship this God who just keeps getting closer and closer to us? God's like a shepherd who willingly leaves behind 99 to search for the one lost sheep. God doesn't stick around and sit back and relax and hope for the best. God charges out into the wilderness and refuses to stop until the one is found. God is like a Samaritan, forsaken and ignored by the rest of the world, who stops by the side of the road to help the one that everyone overlooked. God doesn't just keep walking by with better things to do. God doesn't avert God's gaze. God condescends God's self to get down in the ditch with the rest of us. God is like a king who hosts a giant party and, when not enough people show up, sends his servants out into the streets to grab anyone that they can find, even the poor, even the marginalized, gives them new clothes to wear, and makes space for them at the banquet. God is like the father who runs out into the street, stops his prodigal and wayward child before and an apology can even spring forth and says, I am busting out all the good stuff tonight. We are going to have a party because you were dead, but now you're alive. We, the good and righteous folk that we are, we might have thought the story was over. That the shadow of the cross remaining in the distance puts a conclusion on the whole thing. That in the end, we really had gone a little too far this time with the whole killing of God's son. But even in this, even in the greatest sin of all, Jesus comes back. He comes back to the betrayers and the crucifiers, to the doubters and the deserters. Jesus comes back to us. The work of Jesus, contrary to so how so often we talk about it in church or hear about it in church, is not transactional. There is no such thing as if in the gospel. We are not told that the Lord expects us to get everything ironed out before he will come and dwell among us. He doesn't wait behind the stone in the tomb until there's enough good morality in the world before he busts out. What we are told from the cross and from the resurrection is that Jesus is already in it with us. And even more, he has gone on ahead of us. The church, whenever it descends into you must do this or you have to make the world a better place, it fails to be the church 
that Christ inaugurated in his life and his death and his resurrection because we will fail at that work. Easter, Easter invites us to do nothing except trust. Trust that there is a new Jerusalem waiting to come down and feast at the supper of the Lamb, the Lamb who has been with us the whole time, who refuses to abandon us no matter how good we are or how bad we are. If Easter becomes anything less bizarre than that, then faith is turned into standing on your tiptoes to see something that's never going to happen. We can't make Easter happen. We can't raise Jesus from the dead. It happens in spite of us entirely, which is the best news of all. Easter, simply put, is a gift. It is a gift like grace. It is unwarranted, unmerited, and undeserved. God has already made the world a better place in Jesus Christ, who comes back to us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, in the mystery of dying and rising with Christ, you have upended the world and brought life, new life, to your church and to your creation. Breathe upon us again with your spirit and give new life to your people. Be with those among us who are not able to be with their families and their friends this day. Be with those who are working in hospitals and in shelters. Give each of us strength and the wisdom to be the kind of people you've called us to be, and give us the hope to rejoice knowing that death has been defeated in you. And all God's people say, Amen. Typically, in a worship service on a Sunday morning here at church, we have four parts of our worship. We are gathered together. Uh, we proclaim God's word. We then respond to God's word and are sent forth. Uh, this time of online worship, uh, some of the ways we've been responding are reminding people about church offerings, the way that we can continue to support the ministries of the church, of giving of ourselves back to God and to uh, the kingdom that surrounds us. But one of the other ways that we respond is with an affirmation of faith, by affirming what it is that we believe. And so now we're going to use uh, the Apostles' Creed, which can be found in your online bulletin if you're unsure of how it goes. But please join me, spoken aloud by affirming your faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Another way that uh, each of us can respond to the best news of all the good news that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ this week, and particularly today, is to party like it's Easter. N.T. Wright, the theologian, once famously said that Easter is when Christians should be pulling out the champagne bottles. After all, today is a celebration of the greatest victory in the history of time, and if that's not worth having a party over, then nothing is. So wherever you are and whatever you've got going on in your life, I encourage you to find a way to celebrate, to have a little party today. If you have a, a particular bottle that you've stashed away for a special occasion, pull it out, pop it open. Have a favorite song that you like to belt along to, crank it up to 11 today. Missing the opportunity to proclaim the good news with other Christians, open up your front door and shout, He is risen! as loud as you possibly can. If you want to take it a step further, take a picture of your celebration. Take a selfie. Post it on social media. Tag me. Tag the church. Use a hashtag. Party like Jesus. Do whatever it is to celebrate today. Because Jesus loved to party. He loved to celebrate. That's why so many of his parables end with a feast. Make space. Make time for a little feast in your life today. And know that it is a foretaste of the Supper of the Lamb that goes on forever and ever and ever. Friends, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen and he returns to us. That is the good news. So go forth on this Easter with this blessing and with this benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life, the God of death, the God of resurrection and Easter, that you might see and know and believe the good news really is good because it has been done for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Happy Easter!